Hello world, welcome back to Golf Subpar with Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. Sleaze, I thought we almost had an I'm back moment with Ricky Fowler at the CJ Cup over in Japan. Ended up finishing tied for second behind Keegan Bradley, who gets his first win in over four years. And it was a very emotional victory. Really, really cool to see, but those two were battling it out, coming down the stretch. Um, Ricky had the 54-hole lead. You know, he's, he's made some changes, made a caddy change, gone back to Butch Harmon, had a top five at Napa, followed by a miscut at Shriners when I pick him, of course, and then mm-hmm. comes over here and finishes tied for second. Things are getting better, but I was a little concerned with that final round. I, didn't, I don't know how much of it you got to see, but with the 54-hole lead, I thought things were just a little conservative, possibly, for Ricky Fowler. You th- you're talking conservative, like, in terms of strategy and decision-making or in terms of, like, club selection, things like that, like, was he just not making birdies uh, or was he just playing it too safe off the tee into greens? What did you not like? I thought his iron game was a little soft. Uh, he made an early birdie on number two, I believe, and then did not make another one until the 18th hole, which is yeah. a pretty easy par five for those guys. But you got to tip your cap to Keegan Bradley because this guy was in cruise control, was two up with four to play, or two up with five to play, made a bogey on 14, made an unbelievable par save on 15, and then a ter- horrendous bo- bogey on 16, and then follows it up with... That? What he says was arguably the greatest hole he's ever played in golf with the seven, the par four 17th, which I believe was around 485 yards, stripes it down the middle, hits it in there about 12 feet, and makes the putt, and fortunately had a two-shot lead, didn't have to make birdie on the last. But awesome performance by Keegan Bradley. Seems to always play well over at the Zozo. If you remember, he was in the final group when Tiger Woods went over here just a couple years ago. He loves it over there for whatever reason, and good to see him back. I read the I read the – strangest stat like it didn't really register with me until i read it how about it been since keegan bradley's last win on the pga tour both tiger and phil have won major championships which is just mind-blowing to think like two guys kind of on the tail end you know and keegan being a guy that's been you know playing on team events and major championships and things like that this was one um i didn't expect him to get as emotional as he did but you can see what it's meant dude like some of these guys that you know, we, we talk about the winners every single week on here, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Guys that aren't winning, you don't know how hard they're working to try to get back there until something like this happens. Shout out Keegan Bradley, man. That was, um, it's been a long time coming for him and this could be a little jump start, a little shot in the arm to try to get him back where he's been, you know, in years past. Yeah, the guy works his ass off. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you saw if Justin Thomas tweeted out afterwards, said, look, I get to see the work firsthand out at Grove 23. The man puts in the time. Like he is a grinder. He wants it. He wants to be great. And how about you, you look at those two guys, like Keegan Bradley, R- Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler. Obviously, Ricky Fowler is the bigger superstar there. But if you look at their resumes, they both got five wins. I know Ricky's got the players. Keegan's got the major championship Yeah. when he won the PGA's rookie year. It's crazy to think that their, their careers are that close. And possibly even Keegan's is a little better. It's really, really comparable. And, I mean, like I, if you ask me, here's resume A, resume B, one's got a major, one doesn't. I mean – what do you take? You know what I mean? I think it's kind of a, a no brainer. That's what you play for. But they guys have really similar resumes. I just think with Ricky, with all the changes, like you said, he's kind of wiped the slate clean, gone back to some, you know, old coaching, which Butch, which seems to work for virtually everybody that does it. He's changed clubs, changed caddies, got Ricky Romano on the bag. Now it just needed like a new start and whatever it is, whether it's the swing, whether it's the clubs, whether it's the caddy or the combination of the three, like it's working. It's just fun. It's just nice to see him. Speaking of guys that have worked their ass off and we haven't seen a whole lot of them in terms of results for a while, Ricky Fowler's in that thing. So just to see him having a chance, he didn't play bad the last round. He just didn't do enough, you know, kind of like you said, but it's a pretty good sign. 
two top sixes and three starts. It's been a while since we can say that about Rick. Yeah, no doubt. And also, it was a massive football weekend, which I know you're going to save part of yours for the Doers Cheers moment of the week. But how about Alabama, Tennessee? I don't know if I've ever seen a scene like what we saw there at the end of that Tennessee game. That was incredible and so much fun to watch. It was one of the best weekends of college football watching that I can remember in a long time. That Tennessee game was nuts. Did you see the picture afterwards after the game had concluded? Oh, they yeah. The field. They took the goalposts out and took them down to some bar down there. It would have been a hell of a night to be in Knoxville. And then the picture I loved was the one from outside the stadium, like across the river or whatever, with the smoke coming out. They're like, this is what 100,000 cigars looks like. And the whole place was up. It looked like the up and smoke tour over there. I was like, that is what shit is about in college it's so fun you don't the nfl is awesome but you don't get it in the nfl and this week like the three big games all of them all of them were close dude is what we've been what we've been asking for the only thing that sucked was your horn frogs were playing oklahoma state at the same time i'm not yes. sure how you dealt with that how about friday my tv guy calls me he goes hey can we come over this morning and install your second tv in your media room i'm like uh yes this is perfect because i don't want to move all weekend so i had them both on at the same time it was heaven I need it. I need that setup so bad, dude. Because I was back and forth between that. Obviously, I'm watching every snap of TCU. And then when it was, all right, commercial, timeout, whatever, click over. And all I got to see every time was like, whatever the score was, let's say it was 21 21, whatever it was, I'd click back, be 28 21. And I click back 28 mm-hmm. 28. I was like, God damn, they're scoring on every possession. I'm missing all kinds of stuff. But I had to stay loyal to my boys. We're in a, we're in a vicious cockfight. Also, something very interesting. I don't know if you saw this. The Tennessee Volunteers twi- official Twitter account. You know, tweet it out. Listen, unbelievable win. So happy. Our goalposts are gone. We obviously need goalposts to play next week. They started a GoFundMe yeah. to replace their goalpost. Uh, I looked last night. It was at $63,000. I'm not sure what it is now. But, hey, guys, you probably just made a goddamn gazillion dollars. You can pay for your own goalpost. I think their quarterback's getting, like, in the millions, you know, from all the all various right. NIL people. So they should As he be- should. Also, yeah, they're like $100,000 fine that you get fined from the SEC for storming the field. Big 12, does they all do the same thing. They started GoFundMe for that, too. And someone tweeted out a thing of their uh, the University of Tennessee's current endowment, and it's in, like, the super billions. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe you feel fine. 100. You know, you feel 100. Don't need to do a GoFundMe to put the goalposts back up. Just as a little thank you for the fans that showed up and made that place what it is. But, dude, the college football weekend. I actually won a couple bets. Not, a, not incredible, but I'm off the schneid. I feel like it was just uh, it was a hell of a Saturday um, and Sunday, too, for that matter. Well, Sleaze, I know you're not here in Scottsdale right now, but there's actually a little bit of a crispness in the air, which means perfect mm. Dewar's drinking weather. What do Matthew Fitz, Cameron Smith, and Scotty Scheffler have in common with Dewar's four-time Master Blender of the Year, Stephanie McLeod? They're all at the top of their game. In Stephanie's case, that means creating the new Dewar's 12-year-old. Double-aged in first-fill bourbon cast, the new Dewar's 12 is smoother and richer with a profile full of fruit, vanilla, floral notes, and a spice. It's earned a 94-point rating from Whiskey Cast, a 93-point rating from Whiskey Advocate, and four stars from Paul Pocklitz of the Spirit Journal. It's proof of what you can do when you're a true champion of your craft. Try it, enjoy it, and please drink responsibly. It is now time for the Doer's Cheers moment of the week. So, ladies, I'm going to just go ahead and give you a little cheers and say here's to my liver over the next three weeks because this could be a problem. Oh, over uh, the tomorrow, week, that's gonna be the. That, it's been really taking it easy for a while, hasn't? Yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I've yeah, been really I slowing her down. Now I've got to really step it up and start drinking again. Good. All right. Well, I'm, I head up to Las Vegas tomorrow. Southern Highlands member guest with our guy Ben Lamb, and 
Mm. The wife is out of town for the week. He said we are going to absolutely send it, which terrifies me because he's a damn maniac. So that's a problem. I come home for a quick little hour, a couple hours, change clothes, head right back to the airport, Thailand for the Asian Pacific Amateur. Heard in Thailand's rather nice. Heard there's a few things to do over there. Should mm. be interesting. Come back here, land Monday afternoon, get on a plane Tuesday afternoon to Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite cities in the world for Justin Thomas's wedding. Uh, this might be it. This subpart, you might be looking for a new co-host. Good drinking cities, huh? Good, good drinking cities. Can we not spread this shit out a little bit? Yeah, it's tough. You got some other stuff coming up after that, man. It's just, mm. you know, sometimes you, you, you go hard, you go home, you know? It is the bear it is. might have to go into hibernation here Liver, in a month or so. <laughs> wake the hell up. Um, yeah, you gotta get you gotta get seasoned up for the holiday season. A lot of drinking to be had for the rest of the year. My doer's moment of the week is the mighty TCU Horn Frogs taking down the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Not only because it was a big game, obviously they're in the top ten, and now we get to slide in there after that, but because of what it meant for my friendships with some of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, most notably. My child, my firstborn son, Wyndham Clark, who owes me substantial payment when, upon his arrival back home in the States, and also our good friend Colt Hayden Wood, former Oklahoma State Cowboy, who has a very public humiliation coming his way for the remainder of every, of, of, for every Saturday for the remainder of the football season, which I look forward to on Instagram. If you don't follow him, I don't know his handle off the top of my head, but just look out for Hayden Wood posting some great things coming That's up. A that's a great bet for him because no one knows who the hell he is. That's what I said. And then my loss was I was going to have to say a bunch of shit about him on the pod. I was like, this ain't fair. This ain't a fair yeah. bet. But you know what? I'm a man. I'll take the bet. But uh, just just look forward to it. It's going to oh, be cool. Good. 42, 42 people get to see him. If you would all his, his entire hundreds of thousands extended family are going to be seeing that. I'll make sure maybe we have to repost here on sub party so everyone can see it. All right. Well, let's get to our guest this week. The man who can hit it straighter than anybody that's ever played. He makes me look crooked. Our man Fred Funk, who recently, just like about six weeks ago, beat his age out on the PGA Tour Champions. I've played with this man. He's, first off, he's one of the few guys I can relate to on the golf course. It's nice. About 270, down the middle, you know, hits it on the green, makes some putts, whatever. Player's champ. The man can. Pl the man has had a pretty decent career for how far he hits it. You ever get paired with Freddie and just look, look up and be like, Dad? You're dad? away. <laughs> You're away. Is that so, you? You're away, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. But man, he was a he was a lot of fun. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Here's Fred Funk on Golf Subpar. All right, the man with us here today has been winning golf tournaments for a long time. He's got eight wins on the PGA Tour, nine on the Champions. A proud Maryland Terrapin, and I think the first guy we've had on this show that makes Colt look crooked. We got Fred Funk. <laughs> wow. How are you, Freddie? I'm good. That's pretty good. I like that. There ain't many of them. There's <laughs> no, not many guys not. that grew up. There's not many guys that grew up modeling their game after Fred Funk, but I'm one of them. <laughs> that's it. I got <laughs> what that's 1.0 so and 2.0. You had to hit it longer than me. There's no question. I don't know. I don't know, Fred. It'd be a hell of a battle right now. I think. Gosh. <laughs> I'm glad this is this little conversation starting to happen right now. So, Freddie, you won the driving actually six times on the PJ Tour. Colt, you won it once in 2016. Mm -hmm. Do you know your highest ever percent of fairways hit off the top? Almost 82. Whoa. Yeah, yeah that's correct. I thought mine was like 75. 81.24, according to the internet, Fred, which never lies. And Colt, 73.36. Pretty not a lot of rough. I mean, with my speed, though, it's obvious that I hit 8% less. Yeah, Colt was like 122 <laughs> club head, I think, at the time. <laughs> yeah, but come I had down a secret, about though. 20. I, 
you know, the walking scores that controls, you know, they're putting down all your stats. Yeah. I always bribed them. If I was yeah. really <laughs> close. <I did>. Yeah. <laughs> First cut is a fairway. Exactly. That's what I told him. And fringe <laughs> is a green and fringe is a green. I'd always look over. Fairway, that counts. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree. Could not agree more. I love it. Well, you are one of the straightest hitters. Is that like growing up? Was that kind of your strength? Even as a, as yeah. a young guy, were you just a, the shorter, straighter guy? I was definitely the shorter guy. Uh, I was definitely really straight. Um, my ball really never curved. My misses were pulls and pushes. I didn't really curve it much. And obviously your dispersion can't be that wide when you're not that long. So, you know, my misses actually on majors were kind of a penalty because I was in the thickest part of the rough. I would never mm -hmm. get to the wide stuff where the gallery was. So if I was missing fairways in the majors on a U.S. Open or PGA setup, uh, I was dead. I mean, it, it, you just uh, just hacking it out, and um, you know, that was uh, more of a focus. I was then usually I aimed down the middle, and I was always somewhere left or somewhere right. Uh, but in the majors, when I was playing really well, I would uh, aim down one side and draw it back in a little bit. But most often, I'd aim down the left side and kind of hold it and use the whole fairway and try to eliminate one side, even as short as I was. At least eliminate the left side of the golf course was usually what I would do. And, um, that worked pretty good. Yeah. For I'm glad they came up there. with hybrids. Had they not come no up kidding. with hybrids, the best invention for me in, in all the golf that saved my career when they came up with those. How many are you carrying right now? Obviously enough. Cause you just shot 65 up in Michigan beat your age, by the way, for the first time in competition. Congratulations on that. How many, uh, but how many hybrids you got in the background? Right I, I got a bouquet. It's, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I got a, my first, uh, hybrid is my four iron, which I've had. It was an original hybrid by TaylorMade. And, uh, that's kind of my money club. It used to be, I'd hit it 175 to 200. I could get 200 yards out of it back in the day. And, and now I might get 190 if I really stomp on it and I'm feeling good, but, uh, it was such an accurate club and it was so versatile because, uh, you know, I could hit it out of the light rough. I could hit it out of the first cut of rough. I could get it out of a divot. I could hit a high. I found one. It's it's a really short shaft and it's really stiff, so it wouldn't balloon. And a lot of times when I was uh, looking for a hybrid, when I first was looking for them, and they'd be the 22 or 24 degree loft, and it would go straight up in the air and into the wind, it was useless. So uh, George Willett, used to work for the uh, uh, TaylorMade, and he was our guy that built our clubs he said i got an idea for you so he came out with a club that already had a 19 degree three iron uh hybrid and uh he said don't look at the bottom it had the same head and i hit it It was just a lot shorter and i could hit it low i could hit it high and i and i was i could get 200 yards out of it and it was a 19 head as well but it was so much shorter and so much stiffer that i could keep it down and that's still in my bag and then i got a three iron hybrid i got another hot hybrid if I pull my three wood out. So I wish we could have, I have so much in common. You guys, I feel like I'm talking to Colt right now. Four iron hybrid. That's my favorite club in the bag. It is. It's it, well, it really is versatile. You can do a lot with it. And, uh, and I, I just think it's, it's, uh, is it really easy club to hit and a lot easier. Your misses even with that are uh, better than a four iron. And, you know, most people can hit a four iron and get them in the air and I can still get those in the air, but the, the poor hybrid off a tight lie is it's not an issue. I, I feel comfortable hitting it. 
for me when i was still playing it's like the amount of times i had 200 into a par four or 200 yard par three it was ridiculous so i might as well figure out a way to be pretty damn good from that yardage yeah exactly and there's a lot of them on it even on the champions tour we we um you know we're playing 215 220 down the you know 180 par threes or in that range so i need my three high i need my hybrids in that in that zone so yeah, you mentioned you can get that you mentioned you can get the iron up in the air, but I focus on that miss hit. The miss hit with the hybrid is just so much better. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't hurt your hands. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Bryce Mulder and I joked we would have quit a long time ago if they never came out with hybrids. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Although with the with the modern game now, I really would think it would be very difficult to see a player like me or a Corey Pavin. Uh, guys, as short as we were on the on the – highest level of the game to really compete. Now there are still golf courses that we can compete on, but these guys are hitting it so far nowadays and they're hitting four irons, 230 and 240 yards. It's, it's, you know, off the tee, even off the fairway. And that's hard to beat. It's really hard to compete with that and, and hitting their drivers you know, 300 plus in the air. Um, it's a totally different power game. Like any other sport, it's, it's uh, gotten all about speed and power and, and, uh, Yet you still got to have that great short game in golf, which is the equalizer. But uh, it's hard to beat a guy that's that long with that kind of power to, um, like Bryson has proven, to beat him when they're on their game. And and that's what's difficult. And while we're we're on that topic of conversation, like as a guy who is never going to be that long, like do you like where the game's going now? Because I've always said I don't think you'll see guys come out of college that play the way – you a Corey Pavin or a Justin Leonard did nowadays? No, I don't think you will. They can't even compete in college at that level. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. just really gotten to be a, a speed game. It's the aerodynamics, the golf ball, the the easiness, the easiest club in the bag to hit nowadays is the driver. You're putting it on a tee. It's it's a you know a lightweight head. It's a big head. Has a light shaft. It's not those old steel shafts, and they're 45, 46 inches long. And they just learn how to not only train their body, but they learn how to train to hit a ball a long way. And even the little guys are hitting the ball a long way. And it's, it's amazing. They complain about, uh, or not complain, but sometimes on the TV announcers, they'll say Morikawa, and they say well, he's not one of the power guys, but he had 175 <laughs> ball speed. And I think that's yeah, the not sweet short. spot. That's, that's a great area to be in. It's still plenty long enough to overpower and score on almost any golf course in the world except for mining Colorado and uh, we'll talk about, <laughs> but, uh, but yet he, it, it stays in play. And, you know, they were talking about that playoff was a year ago with DeChambeau and Cantley yeah. the, in Baltimore and uh, Kays Valley. Yeah. Kays Valley. And they go to that playoff and you know, obviously DeChambeau's way by Cantley, but Cantley's still hitting at 180 ball speed or whatever he was at. And, and that's certainly not sure. He's still driving to 300 plus. It's just Bryson's off the charts at 350. So, um, no, I would love to hit it. I'd love to see what that would feel like to fly a ball 300 yards. That'd be unbelievable. I can't comprehend. i tell you one thing. If I could hit a ball that far, like I watched my son. He's trying. He's out on the Canadian tour. He's got a lot of power. He's, he's kind of the size of McElroy and almost the same speed, if not the same speed as he is, off the tee. But uh, – to watch him play, it, it's just remarkable to to see that kind of speed. And it's just an easy when he's on his game and he's sitting at 70, 80 yards in the air past you, 
and he has nothing left into the hole. It's just every hole is a scoring opportunity. I would love to get out on a golf course knowing there's nothing in the way. It's just a matter of managing your game and getting around there. If you're on your game and you got the power, you know, off you go. Uh, just have a ball with it. Yep. All these young kids coming out NCAA, as you look at it, it's not like the one offs anymore. It's almost like the entire, entire field does it. It's a prerequisite anymore to, to be in some of these guys. I want to take you way back though. Cause I am extremely one question real quick before you get to that. Before oh, okay. we get back one question it, while we're on it. the distance thing real quick, I want to know, because I know this really, this changed more after your PGA tour career, but were, at any point in your career, did you ever chase distance? No, I, tr I tried a little bit just on my own. I was self-taught pretty much my whole career. <laughs> And uh, I read the Carl Lauren book, The One Move to Better Golf, back when I was a kid, and that kind of became my instructing book. Um, and I, I never did. I just couldn't figure out. I never, I never developed lag. I never knew how to create lag in my swing. When you see a guy like the extreme example of Sergio, and he brings the club down, and he's at hip level on the way down, and the club is still back here somewhere. And then the next frame is right on through the ball. I can't imagine that kind of uh, how you even do that. And yet he was one of the straightest. I put him as the top three drivers I've ever witnessed on, on tour, Norman, David Vaughn, and him uh, wow. for distance and accuracy. So pretty remarkable how great a driver Sergio was with that kind of lag and, and able to time that up all the time. Yeah. He's, he's a but name that comes up question, a lot. No, I didn't chase it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Not for very long. It, Good choice. <laughs> Ended up being a good move. You had a pretty decent uh, run out there, which we're going to get into a lot of that. But I want to get your career before your career. And this is when you were a young child. I'm very interested in this because you boxed. For, sorry, <laughs> I believe starting at the age of eight up to 16. I got to know about Fred Funk, the boxer. I'm very well, fascinated by this. Yeah, at eight years old, we had a guy down the street that moved in and he was an old uh, Golden Gloves boxer. And uh, he grabbed a couple of my friends down the street and myself and, and said, do you want to... Uh, spar around and stuff so put the gloves on and, and i kind of liked it I, I i don't know why i like getting punched in the face but i kind of liked it and um i was in college park and i did all the college park boys club um which is right by the university of maryland campus uh, i did all their other sports with football and baseball and basketball um but they didn't have a boxing team so i went to a delphi boxing team which was the community next door and uh they had a golden gloves coach there he was 49 and one in golden gloves and um he had a great team and we i just liked it i, I loved doing it we had a great group so we started training for a tournament that was in april we started training in october and um we would train three or four nights a week in his basement and we had the heavy bags the speed bags and he, and we'd spar each other we'd just we'd run and we'd do all sorts of stuff but at the end of the into the uh, in April, we went to Andrews Air Force Base. They had a big tournament, double elimination, and it was the same county as Sugar Ray Leonard grew up. And he's the same age and same age uh, weight as I was, pretty much. And he started when it the way I remember he started when he was about nine or ten. And and when you're starting at eight years old, you're you don't know what you're doing. You get in the ring and you put your head down, and you go like this, and then you start learning how to fight. Then you start learning how to, the art of boxing. Well, Sugar Ray, I remember when he showed up, he got in the ring and this kid, you know, he's a little tiny guy like we all were. And he got in the ring and hell of a sudden he's dancing around like he's been in the ring his whole life and throwing, throwing speed that you just like, wow. So we always tried to, I wish I fought him 
Um, just to say I got my ass kicked by Trigger Ray, but yeah, you're never, the only guy to ever say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but but uh, I did manage to avoid him in the in the weigh-ins. We were always one weight class apart, um, whether I was lighter or heavier, but usually I was lighter. And uh, but I remember my first weigh-in. I think I weighed sixty-four pounds, and I weighed in at fifty-nine. <laughs> it was something stupid. It was. <laughs> And we got in a Volkswagen Beetle to make weight. We put about six of us in there, put a plastic bag over us. So we're all in sweats, turn the heat on full blast after we already oh just God. ran two miles. And we're all just dropped all the water weight. We and we could have killed us. I mean, really could have killed us. Um, but uh, that was fun. It, it was a good time. Uh, it came in handy at times. Uh, I was always a little guy and I had a um, attitude sometimes. And, and uh, I remember in junior high and high school, it came in handy a few times, but, um, anyway, Oh, the, I, there is a follow-up. So now we get to, um, so that was whenever I was 16. So in 1976, when a guy named Terry Butner come in and was trying for the Olympic team and he was a welterweight, 140, 147. And I weighed about 160 at the time. And, uh, my coach asked a bunch of guys to come back and be his, sparring partners and i went sure i'll do it what the hell i hadn't been in the ring for four years and uh i get in there and he is fast i mean when we're at that level he's and and this is the year that sugar ray made it to the olympics and uh terry went to the he lost in the finals of the trials to go to the olympics and the 76 and the 84 and, and also 1980 boxing teams the olympic teams were the best ever u.s teams but anyway i got in the ring for two months with him getting my head kicked in with this guy and he was so fast it was, it was unbelievable and um yeah I, I could i guess i was more of a punching bag than i was i was trying to beat him but i couldn't <laughs> he was just so freaking quick and not only with his hand speed you know you see these lightweights and how they can move and jig and bob and do everything in the ring and uh it was fun it was a good experience so i did and it, i think it helped my mentality as far as um my work ethic i always had a really strong work ethic i always felt like i had to outwork the other guys to be good enough and i felt like i did a lot of work probably why i have a bad back now but well hitting golf balls for hours sounds a lot better than sitting in a volkswagen beetle in a trash bag i know that punched in the mouth you know how to take it you know how to get punched in the mouth that's all golf is over and over just getting punched in the mouth by the way you mentioned uh well woody austin does that to himself i've witnessed it it is fantastic good point he knocked himself out i actually played with sugar ray i believe 10 years ago at the old bob hope he was my partner one day wow and looked like he could get in the ring right now he's still like so fit it was unbelievable did he talk about being scared of this young kid growing up he did not fred funk he did not bring up inspired him to to go on to what he went on to but what a nice Uh, guy he was that's awesome he is a nice guy well really is a nice guy i mean career record in all your fights, what do you think you were? Were you not? Were you knocking kids out? Like, were you? Did you have some no, power? No, I, you I never got knocked down. Uh, I knocked quite a few guys down. Um, I never okay. knocked one out. I fell out of the ring once, though. We had the ring was That's jacked up about four feet, and the guy had me pinned against the rope, and I was just trying to cover up. So now I'm ready to get ready to throw a punch, and I put my right foot back to to get the leverage to throw, and my my leg went out of the ring and I just toppled right on out of the ring and fell four feet onto the floor. And I had to walk around. I was all scraped up on the inside of my leg because I hit that side of the ring and hopped back in. I did end up winning that fight though. Uh, I don't know what my record was. I think I probably 
I mean, you usually were fighting two to three fights in, in April. And um, now I was probably 50, 50, maybe a little better than that. I had, I thought there were some fights I won that they said I lost and quite a few of those I thought actually. And then there was uh, some I lost that they gave me, gave me the decision anyway. Um, so I don't know what you they're those at. judges. Like you did the stat people. I know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can be bought. They're humans. They're humans. That's right. Yeah, they're human. It, it was okay. It was fun. Let's take a little break from our episode with Fred Funk. I want to tell you about Rap Soto. Play your best golf with the Rap Soto MLM, the number one rated personal launch monitor on the market today. Featuring incredibly precise measurements, remarkable accuracy, data-rich visuals, and new performance combines. The MLM is the mobile launch monitor to help the grinders, the range rats, and the golf junkies get better by delivering more insights and structure to every practice session. Pairing Doppler radar with an iPhone or iPad camera, Rap Soto MLM ensures that every golf ball is tracked and incredibly accurate. Additionally, MLM gives shot tracing for every swing and visually charts each shot for a better understanding of consistency, accuracy, and length. The pro-level data and metrics provide measurable and actionable feedback to make practice sessions smarter, more structured, and more focused toward improvement. And let's talk about the new Performance Combines tool now available for MLM Premium subscribers. The new Performance Combines feature is a 24-shot test at two targets and a driver to identify golf's biggest weaknesses so they know where their game needs the most work. Designed by industry-leading and trusted golf expert Dr. Sasho McKenzie, Performance Combine utilizes over 100,000 shots of PGA-level data and 20-plus years of data directly from Dr. McKenzie's work with all different skill levels and handicaps. Practice with a purpose every time you hit the range. Better practice, better scores, better golf. Just go to rapsoto.com subpar and use promo code subpar for $100 off the MLM. Right now, Rapsodo is also offering a $30 off bundle discount for MLM and their premium subscription. So subpar listeners have the opportunity to save over $130 total with the purchase of the bundle package. Stop wasting time on the range with ineffective practice that doesn't lead to improvement. Get a Rapsodo MLM and get a plan for lower scores. Back to Fred Funk on Golf Subpar. Let's talk about your journey to pro golf because it was pretty incredible. You started off University of Maryland. You get cut. You go away for two years to a community college. You come back. By the way, was that weird at all coming back after being cut from the same team? No, uh, I, I was still working at Maryland at the golf course. I was going to junior college at uh, a local junior college. And what was funny with the junior college when I, uh, well, the first year I, we had 12 rounds of qualifying and I missed by one and I made a, the second hole of par three on the course I grew up on. Uh, I hit it in this dry Creek and I walked off with about a nine because I kept trying to hit it out of this Creek and it kept going the wrong direction. And, um, and I missed qualifying by one just to make the team and I make a nine on that one hole. And the coach cut me. And uh, I was working two jobs and, and I flunked out of Maryland and I said, all right, I'm going to go to junior college. So I went there and, and all the derelicts of PG County uh, that were the number one golfers on the golf teams, uh, five of us showed up that year. And we had an unbelievable team. We scrimmaged uh, Maryland at Maryland and beat them. Um, we went to the Nationals two years in a row. Uh, the local, you, you played over at Avenel and, and those, mm-hmm. you know, that's Potomac. That's the, the rich PG, not PG County, but Montgomery County. And that's the real rich county school, community college. And they had great teams. And we could never beat them. And we destroyed them for two years. And then I went back wow. to Maryland and 
Um, then I was between one and three, usually one and two of the, that team. They didn't have as good a team when I went back, but, um, but yeah, I played the last two years there and then finally graduated after could have been a doctor, I think. Um, <laughs> cause I wanted to be a cop at one time. So, um, got, wow. got a law enforcement degree. And then, uh, I went to JC Goosey's mini tour down in Orlando. Uh, and I lived in Daytona and I did okay in the spring series, went okay in the summer series enough to keep going. And then, uh, I got to the fall. I went belly up, came back. I uh, had no money left, spent some of my parents' money, all my savings. Um, I was working manpower cleaning out this burned out warehouse in the middle of the wintertime in DC. And my coach got promoted to AD and assistant AD. And he offered me the coaching job. I said, yep, I'll take it. And it was only making 18,000 a year. It wasn't like it was there make a lot of money nowadays, but, uh, but it gave me something to do. And that's when my game really started taking off, uh, in the mid eighties, that was 1981, 84, I won the national assistance and, uh, kept qualifying for quite a few PGAs and us opens and making cuts. And I said, okay, I'm maybe a little better than I thought. And, uh, finally got out in 89. So it took, took a while. Uh, I blew a rotator out in, uh, in 86. So I had to battle that battle, that injury back. And actually I re-injured out on tour on a boogie board and I had it operated on a 91 during the season. So, <laughs> There's I mean, a lot of boxing. Yeah, you got a lot of miles, dude. Boxing, law that enforcement, age. boogie boarding. Can't imagine why your shoulders sucked. Falling out of rings, <laughs> getting hit in the face. I mean, shit. Pretty good, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had a face that looked when, like it's been hit a lot. <laughs> uh, when you were coaching and you're coming back, and then you said that's when my game's starting to get good. Are you getting to like play against the kids on the team? I assume you're beating them and things like that because it's hard to stay sharp enough to pursue pro golf when you're doing something else as your actual job. Yeah, I did actually. I played, uh, I played the qualifying match rounds with them, and I was playing in the section, all the section stuff in the Mid Atlantic section. And uh, me and Webb Heinzman were kind of dominating that for all the years I, I was there. We both got out on tour the same year. Uh, he got injured early and and dropped back off. But uh, during the coaching years, I always played with the guys on the team. They kept me sharp. I wanted to beat them. They wanted to beat me. We'd go on the road. Uh, most of the time we're going down 95 and playing in the Carolinas, like at Duke and Clemson and Carolinas tournament and all those. And, uh, at first I would tee them off and I'd watch them on the par threes and I'd be the typical coach and, and they weren't very good. So I didn't do that anymore. I just went to the range and hit balls or, uh, old dominions coach went to a lot of our tournaments and he and I would go to another golf course and go play while my boys were playing. And now they made that illegal because we did that. <laughs> NCAA said no more. <laughs> that's not funk rule. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you, you obviously got going really well on tour. You spent a lot of your career in the top fifty in the world. You won the Players Championship. You qualified for three team events, which we love talking about. This the 03 and 05 Presidents Cup and the 2004 Ryder Cup. I want to go to that 03 Presidents Cup match in South Africa. Because that was one of the most exciting Presidents Cups we've ever had. It ended in a 17-17 tie. But take us through that last day. Obviously, it was extremely close. You got Tiger and Ernie battling out in singles. Then they go to sudden death. It's winner take all in pretty much the pitch dark. Yeah, it was. And it was pitch dark. Uh, you know how the cameras can light things up a little bit. And it was really dark. But, yeah, it got down. You knew it was going to be a close match. And, and then it looked like it was definitely going to be a tie. And, and, and the captains um, 
Nicholson player had to put in an envelope who they wanted. And obviously they wanted Tiger and Ernie. And <laughs> yeah, uh, big surprise. Yeah. yeah, big surprise. Not a surprise. And they go out and I remember, you know, all both teams were all watching them and, and um, they both made great par putts on one. And, you know, you, either one of them misses it, it's over. You know, you're just thinking of the pressure. But then they go to two, that stupid par three that player, it was a player designed golf course. And it was really a bad hole. It had a terrible, severe false front that went half the green. And then the pins in the back, and it was really hard to get the ball up there. And uh, well, I remember Tiger hit it right. And and I uh, forget where Ernie hit it, but Ernie hit his putt to like six, seven feet short of the pin. And, and Tiger had that 12-footer. And it's dark. And it's a left-to-righter. And he makes it. It's like one of those that he does. He just, like he did at Torrey Pines, it just somehow finds its way to the hole. But Ernie still had a six-footer in the dark, darker. It was straight in, straight up, but it's for the President's Cup to keep the tie. And uh, and he buried that. And he just, we know we're all walked up, so that's why that's Tiger, and that's why he's Ernie, and they do what they do. And they had that big discussion on the green on how we were going to decide who was going to retain the cup. And, and uh, then it was settled with DeMarco's putt at uh, RTJ, and I was part of that team too. And the irony with that, um, first of all, the South Africa trip was probably the best trip I've ever been on. I went on to Sun City after that and played that that event. But uh, my family went, and, and it was a fabulous trip. Went on a safari. Um, but anyway, we go fast forward to RTJ, and we get to the singles pairings come out, and BJ – gets gets uh freddie and bj called out in the press i think in, a, in an interview he says freddie have, have a cart ready for freddie on 14 i'm taking him out and you don't say that to freddie freddie's one of the most fierce competitor there is everybody thinks he's this laid back guy but on the golf course he's not laid back at all and um, everybody's watching that match on the board and we hear this huge war go up and freddie took him out i think it was on 17 and then you know everybody else's matches would just move on and then when it got all said and done um i had lost i I didn't have a very good match play record in any of those team events unfortunately but uh i went and followed phil in his playoff to um or extra holes against cabrera and he had it cabrera was out of play phil was going to win his match he's we're going to win the cup in the meantime, DeMarco makes the putt on 18, and <laughs> the celebration is going crazy. I'm the only guy on the team following Phil, and I'm <laughs> I'm 500 yards away from this huge roar, this great celebration. I'm watching the telecast later, and I'm seeing the tape of everybody jumping up and giving everybody just going crazy. And Phil and I are going, just, hey, great match. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, missing the party it was a, yeah it was a lonely walk back i tell you that we were the only ones out there hey guys we almost forgot we got a special gift for y'all right now every single piece of birdie juice merch is 15 percent off all you have to do is go to proshop.golf.com and type in code birdie juice 15 for 15 percent off every single piece of birdie juice merch there is hoodies t-shirts hats towels head covers whatever you want go get it now birdie juice 15 back to fred funk 
Go back to 03 in South Africa when like the, the little huddle up after they, they both made the great putts in the dark. And ultimately, Jack and Gary Player were going to make the decision like this. We're done with this thing. Was it tough sell on the American side? Did they like, we're going to split the cup? We're going to share the cup? We're not going to retain it? Or did the team have any say in it at all? No, not really. It came down. It was all Nicholas and Player pretty much going back and forth. And and I think uh, Player was pretty adamant. And uh, and then, you know, Jack being Jack, um, it, it it was a shared cup at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. how it all ended up. And then and then they went we went to RTJ as a shared cup and, and everything got settled out. But it was really good. You know, I'm, I'm shocked that we have uh, the American side has such an advantage in the President's Cup on the record. When you look at the teams and you just go, wow, I mean, the international team has a heck of a team. Every year, you look mm-hmm. at the names and go, and how can we dominate that one? And and the Ryder Cup, then we're getting our butts kicked in the Ryder Cup, you know, over the last That's interesting. Season. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's going to be much better in the President's Cup this year. Boy, I feel bad for Trevor. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know there's going to be any sharing going on in that thing. <laughs> mm. It's a whole different dynamic what's going on right now. And, and with that, yeah, I don't we're even know gonna, playing out at, yeah, at we're all. We're going to get to – we're going to get to what's going on in the world of golf here in a second, but we, we mentioned Tiger, and I know you were out there when Tiger was in his prime. I mean, two, year 2000, just ridiculous what he did. What was it like playing alongside the guy back then? Is there like is there any moment in all the time you spent with him that kind of sticks out? They're like, good Lord, this guy's just not even human. Yeah, every day I play with him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when I had a chance yeah. to play with him in a, in a tournament round, it was unbelievable, but uh, it, he – yeah, I got to think of a couple. One, it was at Hazeltine. It was the PGA that uh, Rich Beam won. And I was in the second to last group with Tiger. And he was playing good. And we were on number 12. I'm kind of out of it. I was kind of in it. And then I was not in it after Beam made his eagle there on 11. And we were in 12. We hear this huge roar. And we realized this eagle goes up. And I'm like, I didn't know he was that long. Did he? chip it in it's now he put it in I'm like, wow it's unbelievable and rich did hit a lot for he still does actually it's a lot further than i ever gave him credit for but uh uh tiger goes to uh it was 12 13 it was the par three and he three putted 14 was that short drivable par four and he made a mess of that and made bogey and he is living i mean he's just giving it away right there and he does one of those tiger helicopter swing he swung so hard on 15 at par five and he pull hooked it left and over the bunkers in the rough on the hill. And he's walking off the tee, and I won't use the pure language that he used that, that day, but he just says to Stevie in clean terms that we're going to bury the last four. We're going to win this thing. And I'm going to my caddy, did you hear that? And Mark was my caddy, Sevy. And he goes, yes. I said, where the hell did that come from? He just went bogey, bogey, and then a wild swing. And sure enough, he goes, birdie, 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 birdie. And birdies them all. Mm. And he just hit shots. And, like, all of a sudden, he was just so zoned in. And, and you know how he puts when he's zoned in. I mean, I thought he was the best par putter ever. He just refused to make bogeys. But uh, Rich ended up birdieing 16 at crazy par four with the water on both sides. Kind of helped seal the deal. But it wasn't sealed when, you know, Tiger's doing the four. uh, Four in a row coming coming to the house. So, yeah, he was pretty special. But that same tournament – um, and that day, uh, we were walking from 10 to 11. I had about a hundred yard walk and the crowd adopted me that year. They, they 
really were behind me and and uh, it it was it was really fun and I'm walking off the tee and they're cheering, come on Freddie you can go you can come on and you, obviously there were ones doing Tiger but we're standing on eleven uh, tee and he goes and I walk up Tiger was already there and he goes uh, that's weird I go why what's that he says you're cheering for you more than me I said get used to it pal <laughs> <laughs> so we had a funny moment there. But uh, yeah, Tiger was really special. And then uh, uh, just to see, you know, he and Phil would do things that the average guys wouldn't do with with risk. Um, you know, Phil would use the flop shot when he wouldn't have to or he'd hit the shot like at Augusta off the needles on 13 for the green. I mean, why would you do that with his short game? But he did it, pulls it off. And sometimes they don't pull it off, but they had the nerve to do it. And they had the skill to do it. And it, it really was fun to watch them play. I love being in that atmosphere of what those guys brought uh, to, to the game. And I think right now the guys that are doing that are uh, uh, McElroy for sure. You know, he's become the hero of the tour right at the moment. And, and, uh, and the guys that are still with us, uh, they're pretty special. Scheffler and Morikow and, and those guys, it's, it's really good. Explain for the people, because you got to play with Tiger on a Sunday in a major championship. Not many people in the history of the world have gotten to do that. Explain the environment playing with Tiger and what it's like being in that arena where it's basically, I mean, it sounded like you had some fans on your side, which is rare, but typically it's like, do you like feel invisible? Most guys out there, like you're just, as soon as Tiger's done, they're off. Yeah. And actually I experienced that with um, the year. I can't put the year. I don't know what the years were, but when Jansen won at Wingfoot or at Baltus Roll, uh, the U.S. Open, I got paired with Nicholas on Saturday. And Jack would not putt out. He, he was like the third or fourth hole, unless he made the putt, of course. But if he put it up and went even near my line and not worried about the through line or anything, I said, Jack, you can go. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that to you. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He says, well, the minute I putt in, all these people leave. And I went, wow, that's cool. I said, well, I'm one of the few guys that I really don't care. It doesn't bother me, but um, but thanks. And it is the case with Tiger and, and Bill. I mean, there's so many people watching and they just take off. But actually, that never bothered me because a, a group of people or a horde of people would never bother me. It was that one lone guy that would be moving or, or an official or, or um, not a, a volunteer sit there and say quiet please at the wrong time those things get to me but when you're you're seeing hearing a constant noise or the constant movement that never bothered me and you expect it with that i mean there's no way you're going to have 20,000 people in one hole and everybody's being quiet you know everybody's amped up so especially if, if tiger phil was in contention and staying in contention whether you got them the first round but especially on a sunday round i had yeah, that, that's I had cool phil, i had phil when retief won at shinnecock in the second to last oh, wow. group yeah. and um and that was unbelievable because the, it became a two-horse battle uh between those two and i didn't know that retief was making every putt that he was looking at and phil knocked it to about a, a gimme on 16 for birdie i think it was to tie um retief and then on 17 he hit it in the bunker and it was a real shallow bunker and the pins right there but they had the rock rule that year. If you see a rock, you could take it out. But he hit it, and that ball came out like a knuckleball, and, and it hit and went fast forward, had no spin on it, knuckled out. He got a rock between the face and the ball, 
and it went about 12 feet by and he three putted coming back down the hill game set match for team birdie 16 all of a sudden he's got a three shot lead it's all over it was like a morgue going up 18 with uh phil everybody wanted phil all those new yorkers obviously wanted wanted phil mm -hmm. and um it, it's it's fun to be in that that situation and see how it all unfolds because you're really watching you know you're kind of watching history <laughs> when you're paired in that situation with those guys something in the in the books is probably going to happen or something's going to happen that's going to be in the books and and it did on both of those so it's really cool yeah no doubt it's really cool you got to play with both of those and then we got to go to the 2005 or sorry 2004 Ryder cup because you mentioned tiger and phil they get paired together the first day both sessions by uh, captain hal sutton didn't go too well they went oh and two but was this something you knew Captain Sutton was going to do like throughout the week or what was the, what was the reaction like when y'all found out they were getting paired together? Well, first of all, we questioned why they were put together in the first place. I mean, I, I would do an interview single. I go to Tiger first, if I was a captain and this is hindsight, but I'd go to Tiger and say, Hey, you want to play with Phil in the first round? And I'm sure Tiger would have said, hell no. And then it's, it's over. <laughs> <No. laughs> That's not going to happen. Cool. Yeah. And, and yeah. or, he said yes. If Phil wants to, then they ask Phil. If Phil says hell no, then it's over. But um, but they get paired, and I rode back with Tiger in his car with Elon. Had a courtesy car driver, Tiger sitting in the front. I'm right behind him, and Elon on the back left with me. And uh, and we just get in, going to the hotel, about a 15 minute ride. And I said, "How was it?" And he goes, "How was what?" Oh wait, wait a minute, back up. I go, "How was it?" And he doesn't reply. And then I go, hey, Tiger, how was it with Phil? And he's just shaking his head. He goes, I said, what's the deal? He goes, he was useless. He was, <laughs> he didn't help me one, he didn't help me one shot. He said, he said, he's, and that was the year he just, just uh, switched over to Callaway with all new equipment. Yeah. He, he was never with us all week. He was always somewhere else testing clubs, testing balls and trying to figure it out. And he just said, he doesn't know where the ball's going. He doesn't know how far to hit it. He can't keep it on the golf course. He didn't help me one hole. And I went, okay, all right. You did. So it didn't go, yeah, I got to play with him tomorrow. <laughs> and then it just goes, oh, shit. <laughs> so we're just laughing. And obviously that didn't go too well. And if I'm on the other team, you, you, you have nothing to lose. You beat those guys, huge momentum. If you lose, it's like, okay, all right, we kind of expected that. But, uh, I mean, they got – I actually was out there on the course when that second day and it was on 18 and um, tight, uh, Phil hits it just completely off the golf course and Tiger just making this. Yeah. I saw him look at his Stevie's caddy and just go, here we go. And, and yeah. that's what he was going through all the time. You're exactly right though. If, if the European team beats them, they know they have all the momentum because they're taking down the, the two big dogs on that team. Yeah, that was a ugh, that one didn't work the out. The first too well. match, I feel like Fred is like, okay, that's an experiment. I agree with you. Like, you should go to Tiger and be like, basically, who do you want to play with? You're the guy, and let him pick. But I, you run him out, you trot him out there the first time. It doesn't go as planned. They lose. The second one to me is like, let's run that back again. Clearly, you just have a talk with Tiger and say how'd it go. He'd say the same thing he said to you, and you'd be like, yeah. okay, maybe we break that one up. That was just a that was a whip. The second one is what blows my mind. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. I, I thought both were. A little question the first one was even questionable but the second one was definitely right yeah. shouldn't have happened I, the one day we were playing uh it was ordering a shot and um they he uh hal took kenny out he said kenny's too tired to go today and um 
Fred, you go in for Kenny. I said, well, I think, okay, I'll go in. I'm walking to get, go get ready. And I'm thinking, all right, we're playing Oakland Hills. It's one of the hardest, longest golf courses we got. I'm the shortest guy on the team. I would tell Kenny, you're playing. <laughs> yeah. You're, Suck it up, Kenny. Yeah. We need, we need power out here. We don't need a little pea shooter out here. And, uh, especially in the alternate shot. And I was paired with Davis and Davis was driving the ball so far. Everybody was laughing how far and the 12th hole, nobody was getting home on this far five. And after he had a drive, I had a six iron in and I backed wow. off twice. Mm. I'm over the ball, back off. I'm over the ball. I back. And Davis, what are you, what are you doing? I go, Davis, this is the most pressure I ever felt over a six iron. He goes, what are you talking about? I says, I got a six iron in. If I screw this up and we lose this hole, <laughs> and I did, I hit it in the front bunker. We didn't get up and down. We lose the hole, and I went. <laughs> so, oh it, man, it was uh, unbelievable. It's my first time five. ever with a six iron yeah. on a par five. I lay up with this club. Relax. This is my first time experiencing this. <laughs> it, it really was. It was unbelievable. He he was Davis never hit it this far as he did that week. He was so amped up and hitting the dead hitting it's dead straight and. 350 every hole i mean it was stupid how far he was hitting it that hole went about 400 it just rolled and wow it, it was ridiculous forget how hold how i think it was a 600 yard par five and yeah and i a little bit downhill anyway doesn't matter i already told that story <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, move it. quick before we get to our e9 which is our really fun part of the show give us your quick thoughts on everything that's going on between live golf and the pga tour wow yeah it's a hard thing for me to answer. Um, I think it's, um, I see both sides of it as far as, um, I always thought the guys, if I was in a situation of, of Westwood and Mickelson and, and, uh, Poulter, the three guys that kind of left early that were the biggest names. And I was in that part of my career and they offered me that kind of money. I'm out. I'm, I'm going, yeah. I'm, or I'm in, in whichever way you want to look at it, but I'm, I'm taking it because, you know, what's, what's their options to go, um, stay on a regular tour and have all the young guys keep beating up on them, go to the champions tour. Uh, it's, it's a great tour, but persons aren't what even the regular tour are even close and, and, or go take the money. And I think I'm going to take the money, but for the young guys, um, I see a question. I question that, but it's also at the same time, it's hard to say, how do you turn down the money? It's just so much money. It's ridiculous that the tour can't really compete with that kind of money. I mean, the, the live tour could actually come back and say, okay, you got, you got eight or 20 now, $20 million purses. Um, we'll come out with uh, 14, $40 million purses. Now what are you going to do? Mm. So, uh, yep. I mean, it, you just can't, can't really compete and the tour is trying to do that, but yet they're also varying, you know, the media sometimes are, it's very hypocritical, I think, on some of the aspects of saying, why are you dealing with the Saudis? We've already played in Saudi Arabia. We have contracts in Saudi Arabia. We have contracts in playing the regular tour in China. Um, it's not like we haven't played there before. It's it's the same people. Um, and to say, well, you're buying into whatever and or you're being bought by this. Well, yeah, I guess they are. But uh, at the same time, uh, these guys are set for life, you know, for whatever. Uh, now it's sad. I wouldn't want to be playing exhibition golf my rest of my life. If I was a competitor like Rory McIlroy and Scheffler and all the studs and the young guys coming out of college, it may even be in a situation that are talking about, 
that they may never play in a tournament like the Memorial or uh, whatever, you know, the great term, the Colonials and those, those that are on the regular tour. And, you know, that's kind of sad as well. So there's, there's a lot to it. And I, I think we're a long way from having this thing play out. It's got to be played out. It's going to be played out in court. It's going to be played out on a golf course. Um, if Liv gets a TV contract, that's going to be, which I, why wouldn't they get it? Somebody's going to take them. I would think, I mean, they're going to pay for it, but they got the money to pay for it. So I think with uh, Mariyama not going, that was probably a big deal because I think that would have been a Japanese contract, TV contract right away, maybe. Just, just saying. Yeah, Hideki was big for the tour to keep. But just with that being said, back you know when you're playing on the PGA Tour, could you ever imagine anything like this happening? Oh, no, 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 no. And, the, you know, the sad part to me is that I thought just prior to all this, the, the tour was, in my opinion, the strongest it's ever been and was rocking and rolling. We had all these great young guys that are carrying, were, I think, handling the pressure and, and the media and, and the fans and, and putting on great displays of golf. Golly, um, one of the best examples was the one that they were playing London and we were playing Canada. That's probably one of the best Canadian Opens in the history of Canadian Opens this year. And that's, that's what it's all about. And I just don't see the glamour or somebody thinking how important exhibition golf is. It's like silly yeah. season used to be, uh, you know, when, when you're playing the skins game and all those other things in the wintertime, it's, uh, it's, it's not the same. It's not that, that comp, that competitive, they're playing for a lot of money, but it's, it's almost like a little club and they're in there playing for their little, little deal. They're not playing for history. So um, yep. I, I see both sides. I mean, it's hard to turn down the money. Uh, I hate to see when they're blasting the guys that have taken it and just saying, hey, you know, you're blackballing these guys forever. But the tour is fighting for their life right now. And, they, and they're doing everything they can. I don't know why they couldn't have come to the table earlier. And maybe they didn't know this was going to get this far and negotiate and say, hey, okay, all right, you got this. And how can we make – there's enough room in this world for both tours if they did do it right, or if they did it right, I don't know whether, I don't know how it's all going to unfold. I'm, I'm just yeah, going on the, I'm, I'm stuck on the rumor mill on who's going, who's not going and, and what's happening in court and all this other stuff. So. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what all plays out, but um, we only got a few minutes left, Fred. Let's get to the emergency nine real quick. And we start this off with everyone, Fred, you can trade lives with anyone dead or alive. You get to be them for a day. Who would it be? For one day, that was be anyone yeah, make in it, the history of you gotta life. You got to make it count, dude. For a day, jeez, I'd have to keep it in the in the golf world. I would like to just be one of those guys that could hit it 320 yards in the air for one day. Well, there's there's a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> so, so a lot of them my, nowadays. 200 to pick son. from. He can fly at 320 one day. I'd like to be Taylor for one day on a golf course and see what that feels like. And then maybe I could relate to him a little better. <laughs> okay. Perfect. All right. You could go back in time and be Sugar Ray Leonard and let yourself, you could let the actual Fred Funk knock you out. And then you have that story for the rest of your life. Now, had I thought of that, I would have said that. We'd <laughs> <laughs> say about the time I knocked out Sugar Ray, boys. <laughs> I was only would have never heard. If that happened, you would have never he heard was of weak. Sugar Ray. Could you imagine? That's right. That's, That's right. right. All right. 
I'm going to stay on the boxing theme here because every boxer's got a nickname. You got Floyd Money Mayweather. You got Evander, the real deal, Holyfield. What would have been your nickname if you stuck with boxing? Yeah. Well, certainly wouldn't have been the hunk of funk or anything. Um, <laughs> I've got one. I actually right, like that. One? I don't know. You got, got so many with funk as the last well, name. There's Fast Freddy. Fast Freddy is good. I was going to say, because I've seen you do a little dance move here and there. Uh, Fred Fancy Feet Funk would have been pretty good. Yeah, they're always moving. <laughs> Fancy feet. No, yeah, if you got knocked out all the time, you could have been fall down funk. <laughs> fall down funk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take a dive. <laughs> That's that if you're losing all the time. You probably don't need a promotional nickname. thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's got fall down funk tomorrow night. He's in trouble. All right, you mentioned you want to experience driving it, you know, nine miles and straight. Well, there's one guy that does that pretty well, better than us. It's Roy McIlroy. So I want to go back to that skins game you played with Tiger and Annika where you had to wear the pink skirt. If I told you throughout your PGA Tour career you had to play in that pink skirt every single day, but you drove it like Roy McIlroy, would you take it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you damn right you would. I would, too. <laughs> You'd wear it and go commando. You could even make like it shorter if you, if you wanted to. <laughs> play somewhere windy. I don't care. I'm driving it like Rory. Just imagine you're like 70 yards closer to every green. How good does that sound? Oh, it'd be so easy. I mean, oh. Unbelievable. I walk with him in the fairways now, and I just look over when he drives at 350 down the middle. I'm like, you want to play a scramble sometime? This would be really fun to play from up here. I mean, God, it's so easy. You could throw it on every green. He seems to be in a good place as far as uh, his attitude and everything on the golf course. I I don't know. I mean, you see him up close, so I'm just asking, I guess. I I expect – I mean, he had a really, really good year this year. I know he didn't get a major, but 2023 I think is going to be monstrous for Roy McIlroy. That's great. Awesome. You don't have to worry about money anymore. That's a nice load <laughs> off his shoulders after the FedEx Cup. <laughs> no, he's it's, finally set. He, I think he had it made before then, but that's okay. It's <laughs> He's finally, finally made it. Um, all right, I'll give you this one. A little Maryland question here. What do you expect to happen first? Maryland Terrapins win a national championship in football or Bernhard Longer quits playing golf? <laughs> Bernie will... Yeah, Bernie will have to quit before that happens with Maryland, I think. <laughs> I don't like the Big Ten. got to do it in 20 years. I don't like the Big Ten. Yeah, it could be 20 years. Uh, with Bernhardt, it could be 20 years. Um, no, I don't think Maryland's that, – that's a tough league right there. It's a long haul for both of them. Either one of those things that happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. That was a good one. All right. All right. On Thank to- you. Obviously, the money today on the PGA Tour is extremely higher than it was when you were in your prime. But I want, I want to take your best season, which was probably 2005. You're, you're playing your best golf. You go out there, and you, you're, that game is out on today's PGA Tour. Where do you finish on the money list? The way I played in 05? Yeah. Uh, well, that's With how far everyone's hitting it today, where, where would you finish? I think I would do serious damage on the courses that, that like the Hartfords and Colonials and those, I, I would still be able to win those, I think. Um, no question. But uh, the majors now are, you know, they're jacking them back so far. And with the greens, when the greens get super firm and they're hitting a eight, nine iron into the green and I'm hitting a four or five iron into the green, there's, 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 there's no equalizer there. I, I can't overcome that. I can't get my proximity to the hole as close as those guys percentage wise for four days. So on a, on a, the long golf courses in really firm, fast conditions, uh, I would have a difficult time, but 
But you give me those just, other quarterbacks. Just skip those weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't skip them, but <laughs> I'd just see what I could do. Well, you make a lot of money. I can guarantee. I don't know what number it'd be on the list, but well, it'd be a shitload given what, what they're going to play for next said. year. Kisner gave the mm-hmm. yeah great answer to that one. So why do you play these when you don't feel like you can yeah. on this spot? Well, they pay a lot of money for fifth or tenth or twentieth. Yeah, a lot of money for twentieth too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. And he ain't wrong. You got a boxing match for your life. You get to pick any current PGA Tour player to get in the ring with. You got to win. Which one would it be? Mm. Uh. Oof. I go with. There was a guy on the senior tour, and I think I'd still take him, Tom Wargo. Tom Wargo. What if you went today's PGA Tour? You're you're in your oh, prime of boxing. PGA today's PGA Tour. Yeah, current current young fella out there. Who's asking you whoop? Basically, <laughs> is the question. <laughs> wow, I have a lot of them. Yeah, you mean me fighting them or them fighting for me? No, no, you're fighting them. Oh, I'm fighting them. Oh, I don't want to fight yeah. anybody. But I, I wouldn't back no, it just, up It's anybody. fun. Hypothetical. Yeah. Just for fun? You'd be fall down Fred. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be fall <laughs> I'd take the fall at that point. Oh, man. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to get in a ring with a guy that thinks he's really tough, and we'll put the gloves on and the headgear and the mouthpiece and and just see what he can do. I mean, I've been hit before, so I know what that feels like. And uh, <laughs> maybe Kepka. Oh, boy. Yeah. Different weight classes. This yeah, different weight classes. But you gotta I like meet. it. Yeah. Catch weight. Catch weight. You're gonna have to, <laughs> he's going to have to cut. All right, perfect. All right, finish it up for us, Elise. All right, here we go. All right, you graduated with a degree in law enforcement. <laughs> Do you think you could have been the first ever Officer Funk that was actually a cop and not a male stripper? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Officer Funk. Officer Funk's good. <laughs> Officer Funk at your door. The ladies would go crazy. He's here. <laughs> Oh, that's great well uh, fred thank you so much man congrats on beating your age for the first time in competition yes. recently that is awesome but really enjoy you coming on with us yeah thanks guys you guys were a blast all right well that was fred funk joining us on golf subpar the straight shooting boxing man i mean the dude a boxer how about that how, how do you hit it 270 being boxer i never thought about being a boxer i was kind of what i wanted to ask him about the whole time I was like, look, we, your golf career has been spectacular. We've had a lot. Of, but we, we all kind of know about that. Give me back to this boxing growing up as a kid. His story, by the way, like from starting golf to the PGA Tour was a lot different than I ever really realized. I don't know. I, I, I hadn't dug in on Fred Funk a whole lot. But it's an interesting story, man. A guy that kind of did it himself, did it a different way. And, yeah, the boxing, um, when you grow up down the road from Sugar Ray, probably, and you see that happen, it's one of those moments where you're like, probably not my sport probably gonna go somewhere else and he did and it ended up working out pretty nicely dude's had a hell of a run on the pga tour and like you said like he plays like you do like he's the guy that guys at home like my dad i remember loves what you know loves watching fred funk because like that's you know kind of this relatable right? it's like real life you know what i mean it's yeah. not oh 320 over the bunk yeah i'll just carry that and hit an eight iron on the par five it's, it's relatable golf so he's not I, like, I like talking about that pink that pink skirt that they gave him at the at the skins game when Annika out drove him, would he wear would he wear that the rest of his career if he could drive it like Rory? <laughs> Pretty easy answer. Uh yeah. Uh I get I got you can have as many pink skirts as you want driving it like All right, well, but it's always fun having the champions tour guys on there. Great, man. Well, it's time to make some pick sleeves. Got some big college football games once again. And now we're on to the CJ Cup, where 15 of the top 20 in the world will be teeing it up at Congaree in South Carolina. I've played there. It is a fantastic venue, other than there's no cell phone service, which could drive some of these young fellas crazy. 
Yeah, that's a tough look. A lot of a lot of dudes not gonna know what to do at lunchtime, having to talk to people. Brutal. All right, well, let's start off with some college football. I'm gonna go with a team that's starting to roll a little bit. Had a big win over Florida State this past weekend. Clemson is minus thirteen and a half against Syracuse. Syracuse just can't be that good. I, don't, I haven't watched them a whole lot, but Clemson's starting to roll. I feel like I've seen zero snaps of Syracuse. All I know is that they absolutely boned me earlier in the season when I bet against them, and then they covered. So How'd it feel? I'm out on Syracuse. I hadn't seen them. I was like, oh, they probably still stink. Bet against them. Uh, all right, yeah, Clemson is rolling right now. I'm gonna go. By the way, my perfect season ended last week. Sorry to everyone out there on the Bay. Of course, if anyone's gonna ruin it, it's freaking Baylor. Goes up to Morgantown. We said weird shit happens in Morgantown. It continues to happen. But I'm going to go with the team uh, that was on the other end of one of our picks last week. I'm going with Penn State. The Nittany Lions coming off a little L to Michigan State. They're only minus four and a half at home against Minnesota. So I like these good teams coming off losses. Pissed off. Especially like them when they're at home. Especially when that place is Happy Valley at Penn State with that home field. So I'm going to go minus four and a half. Penn State. try Try to get back on the wagon again. Minnesota also coming off a loss. So you got two pissed off teams. Two pissed off teams. I just think one's better than the other by more than four and a half points. Hopefully. All right, let's get to let's get to some golf. And for my favorite this week, this golf course is interesting. Like I don't know what the weather's like this time of year out there, but if it this golf course is meant to play extremely firm and extremely fast. So you can play the ball on the ground a lot if you want. I'm going with a guy who's about as creative as anybody on the PGA tour. Jordan Spieth at 14 to 1. Yes. Jay Spieth back in the house. Firm and fast kid has got a nice little track record over at the Open Championship. I'm going to go both my picks this week, Colt. I'm just I'm going to ride hot hands. Like guys that are playing good right now, I'm going to throw out the golf course to say these dudes are playing good. Let's pick them at the top. I don't think I think it's been a while since I picked him as a favorite, but I'm going to go John Rom coming off his win at the Spanish Open. I think he's got a little um, a little, um, you know, desire to get back to that number one spot. Last year wasn't exactly what we expected from John Rom after a period of time where he was at the top or near the top of the leaderboard for so long. So I'm going to go with John Rom starting that uh, comeback tour to number one. Never hate picking John Rom. I like him on every single golf course on the planet. All right, Dark Horse. These these odds kind of surprised me a little bit because he had a breakout performance at the President's Cup. You were obsessed with his game. He absolutely smashes it. And as I mentioned, this golf course, I feel like he can play it a lot on the ground. Got some really cool bunkers. Possibly mm-hmm. maybe remind you a little bit of a Royal Melbourne over in Australia. Where you going? So let's Let's go with an Aussie, Cam Davis, 60-1. to Love it. I love it. It's just a matter of time before that kid gets thumping. Once he gets that little shot in the arm, like we've seen with some guys, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win in in bunches. Um, On mine, you can get some – with the depth of this field, you can get some good players down here that are like dark horse numbers. There's a lot of – one of my favorite guys sitting there at 45-1, to Corey Connors, the hit the gala. There's a lot of good players around that same number. I'm going to go with a guy we just talked about earlier in the show, though. I'm going to go Ricky Fowler. 45 to one. I think he's starting to believe for the first time. It wasn't just a one-off week. Like we saw last year, you know, we saw him in Vegas play good last year. And then it was a while before we saw it again. He's done it two or three times now. I think going back to Butch, I think the new clubs are helping. I just feel like he feels like he can win maybe for the first time in a while. So I'll, I'll ride the hot hand uh, while it's hot. 45 to one Ricky Fowler. Things are good in the game of golf when Ricky Fowler is playing well. I mean, the, the amount of fan after he lost this past week, too, you saw the video of him signing for everyone. Like, he's still doing all the Ricky That's what things. he does. It's, just, it's way nicer to be doing it when you're coming out of the final group and contending and leading than it is when you're, you know, finishing 48. So I hope he keeps going. And if it's not a win, I think he's a good bet for a top 
20, top 15, top 10 type of play, whatever you like, just because he loves that ground game too. He's nice. All right. Well, get ready, ladies and gentlemen, because oh. our guest next week, they ain't going to finish top 10 in a PJ Tour event ever. But God damn it, they are absolutely hilarious. We got Bob Does Sports and the one, the only, Fat Perez, joining us in here in studio. You are not going to want to miss it. It is one hour of laughs. And that's going to do it for us this week. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar. Bye.